Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I'm going to take out Diane Court. Diane Court doesn't go out. She's a brain trapped in the body of a game show hostess. We don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt. So it's Lloyd and um, uh, let's go out. Oh, thanks, but I'm busy. So you're, so you're monumentally busy? Well, not monumentally. Hi, Lloyd Domish. I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. I can kickboxing. You ever heard of kickboxing, sport of the future? I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax because your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven, eight hours, sir. Maybe Diane Court really likes Lloyd. If you were Diane Court, would you honestly fall for Lloyd? Yeah. 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 What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane? No, really. I'm totally and completely serious. I'm not sure if I should say, you know. I just wanted no, to tell you that... No, we don't have to say it. How do you know what I'm going to say? I don't know what you're going to say. I'm just going to tell you that thank I love you. you. I said it. I know. She gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. Lloyd, man, no baby's worth it, dude. All you gotta do is find a girl that looks just like her and then dump her, man. You guys know so much about women. How come you hear it like a gas and sip on a Saturday night? No women anywhere. My choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. Conscious choice. I'm a guy. I have pride. You're not a guy. No, the world is full of guys. Be a man. John Cusack, Ioni Sky, Say Anything. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Say Anything from 1989. The studio was 20th Century Fox, the release date was April 14th, 1989. The running time, 100 minutes, and was rated PG-13. The budget, $16 million, and the box office took in $20.7 million, making it the 52nd ranked movie of 1989. Rotten Tomatoes gives the film 98% fresh from 46 reviews. Their critics' consensus is one of the definitive Generation X movies. Say Anything is equally funny and heartfelt, and it established John Cusack as an icon for leftist-center types everywhere. Roger Ebert at the time gave it four out of four stars, and here's his review, though I did edit a little bit uh, to not reveal his the plot points because that's my job. So here's his review. Honesty is at the core of Say Anything, but dishonesty is there too, and the movie is the story of how a young woman is able to weather a terrible storm and be stronger and better afterward. This is one of the best films of the year, a film that is really about something, that cares deeply about the issues it contains, and yet it also works wonderfully as a funny, warm-hearted romantic comedy. The young woman, Diane, is played by Ioni Skye as a straight-A student with a scholarship to England. She is one of the class beauties, but doesn't date much because she intimidates boys. The boy who finally asks her out is Lloyd, played by John Cusack. 
and he dates her not only out of hormonal urging, but because he admires her. Her father, John Mahoney, is a caring, trusting parent who will do anything he can to encourage his daughter, but his secret is that he has done too much. The movie treats Diane's two relationship with equal seriousness. This is not one of those movies where the father is a dim-witted, middle-aged buffoon with no insights into real life. And it is also not one of those movies where the young man is obviously the hero. Everyone in this film is complicated and has problems and is willing to work at life to try to make it better. The romance between Diane and Lloyd is intelligent and filled with that special curiosity that happens when two young people find each other not only attractive but interesting, when they sense that they might actually be able to learn something useful from the other person. In the way that they trust each other and learn to depend on each other, their relationship reminded me of the equally complex teenage love story between River Phoenix and Martha Plimpton in Running on Empty. What's unique to this movie is how sure-footed it is in presenting the ordinary everyday lives and rituals of kids in their late teens. The parties, the conversations, and the value systems seem real and carefully observed. These teenagers are not simply empty-headed National Lampoon's Animal House retreads. The movie pays them the compliment of seeing them as actual people with opinions and futures. Cameron Crowe, who wrote and directed the film, develops its underlying ideas with a precise subtlety. It considers the story as if it were actually happening, with all of the uncertainties of real life. I was also surprised to find that the movie had a third act and a concluding scene that really concluded something. Today's standard movie script contains a setup, some development, and then some kind of violent or comic cataclysm that is intended to pass for a resolution. See Anything follows all of the threads of its story through to the end. We're interested in what happens to the characters, and so is the movie. The performances are perfectly suited to the characters. Skye, who was a model before she was an actress, successfully creates the kind of teenage girl who is overlooked in high school because she doesn't have that surface glitz of the cheerleaders, but who emerges at the 10th class reunion as a world-class beauty. Cusack, a unique, quirky actor with great individuality, turns in a fast-talking, intensely felt performance that is completely original. He is so good here that if you haven't seen him in The Sure Thing or Eight Men Out, you might imagine he is simply playing himself. But his performance is a complete and brilliant invention. And Mahoney, who was Olympia Dukakis' sad-eye would-be swain in Moonstruck, finds the right note for a father who cares and loves and deceives both himself and his daughter, and tries to rationalize his behavior because he cares and loves. See Anything is one of those rare movies that has something to teach us about life. It doesn't have a lesson or a message, but it observes its moral choices so carefully that it helps us see our own. That such an intelligence could be contrived in a movie that is simultaneously so funny and so entertaining is some kind of miracle. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Cameron Crowe at the time actually credited the enthusiastic review by Ebert and Gene Siskel as at least partially saving the movie at the box office, which even though many people know this film and it's a beloved film, again, it, it wasn't a box office smash, as I reported earlier. So as a kid of the 80s, and I was, I loved the plethora of high school and teen movies that came out during the decade. And even though I was a preteen, when I saw many of these films, they still resonated with me, case in point. When I first saw Say Anything on video, I was probably 12 years old. And while I didn't have any sort of romantic relationship like that in the film, I was still connected with the film. And of course, the film only got better and better and more poignant as I watched it again and again as I got older. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You, of course, have John Cusack who plays Lloyd Dobler. 
Guzak's career began in the early 80s with small roles, usually as the quirky friend, like in the movie Class with Rob Lowe and 16 Candles. His first starring role came in The Sure Thing, directed by Rob Reiner. He would then appear in the hilariously quirky comedies Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer, which were both directed by Savage Steve Holland. But Cusack wanted to move past high school movies and appeared in the very underrated tape heads with Tim Robbins and then the terrific baseball drama Eight Men Out about the 1919 Chicago White Sox betting scandal. And I'll get into Ione Sky and John Mahoney in the making of the film portion along with Cameron Crowe. So why don't we get into that now? Cameron Crowe worked on the script for two to three years and was getting frustrated with the process and just wanted to make the film. Crowe had always loved writing and people you know in real life. It was nothing forced or cheesy. Now, Crowe had written the script for the 1984 movie The Wildlife with Chris Penn and Eric Stoltz, and he didn't like how the film turned out. It didn't feel real to him at all as a high school movie. Part of the theory about why Cameron Crowe was so fascinated with high school films was said to be because he left high school early himself, and he went on the road as a writer with Rolling Stone magazine and other magazines. And if you didn't know, the film Almost Famous was basically his life. So he was trying to have that high school experience through his works of art. Crow, of course, wrote the novel to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, along with the screenplay. The studio was very interested in saying anything, but didn't love everything about the script. For example, the drama involving Diane's father, they didn't like initially. But Crow was adamant that the conflict put in place was necessary to allow Say Anything to stand apart from previous tried-and-true stories that had been released over and over again. Also, the original story that Crow came up with evolved over time, as most stories do. His original idea was to have the film centered around the female character. She was the golden child who had everything. Intelligence, beauty, the whole world was her oyster. And she wanted to find a guy who nobody believed in. Because she felt that was the type of person who would be the one who would love her the most. The issue was that Crow just couldn't find the right actor to play the male role. So while there are elements of this original idea in the final Say Anything script, it definitely evolved into something a bit different. Crow was not originally supposed to direct the film. There was an established list of directors that were going to be asked to read Crow's script. Finally, producer James L. Brooks, after meetings with various directors, told Crow that he should just consider directing Say Anything himself since he understood the script better than any outside director. And who better to direct the source material than what Crow wrote himself? Since this was Crow's directorial debut, he was a bit apprehensive about how to talk to actors. John Mahoney said that Crow was almost too polite, and he couldn't tell him outright he wanted how he wanted a scene done. Finally, Mahoney just told Crow to act it out so he could see how he wanted it. Once Crow did that, Mahoney nailed the scene. It's all a learning process. John Cusack helped Crow grow as a director throughout the making of the film by giving him advice from working with other directors. Crow knew that John Cusack was the perfect Lloyd Dobler and couldn't envision anyone else playing the part. But Cusack was apprehensive at first because he had already done high school movies and he was looking to move past those types of films at that point in his career. Crow visited Cusack and his buddies in Chicago to pitch the film. And also getting John Mahoney on board was a big selling point for Cusack to be part of the film. Crow and Cusack had a mutual respect for one another and they both shared the same vision of wanting to give the audience credit about what they're watching. You know, too often filmmakers feel they have to spell everything out for the viewer instead of just letting things play out in a smart way. So the Lloyd Dobler character comes from a next door neighbor of Cameron Crow named Lowell Merchant. He was the type of guy who would show up randomly to a stranger's house to introduce himself. He was very polite and he would call people sir and ma'am. He was also very much into kickboxing, and he would tell strangers about his passion for the sport. 
He had a realness and an effortless eccentric charm that some found awkward, but others loved. And this guy, Lowell, would keep showing up to Cameron Crowe's house day after day to talk to him. And this was the essence of the Lloyd Dobler character. This quirky guy who had a certain charm, and then Cusack just nailed it in the film. So Crowe tells a story of Lowell always training for his big kickboxing match. And Crowe missed the fight, but visited Lowell a few days later, and he was completely beat up from his bout. And Crowe asked him how the fight went. And Lowell was undaunted. He said the fight went great. He almost had won and he'll be back in the rings to fight soon again. He had this unwavering attitude that you just had to admire. And again, this is the essence of the Lloyd Dobler character. So Crow found a natural ability in Ioni Sky to be emotional and down-to-earth and smart and worked really well with Cusack. And he loved her performance in River's Edge, which was her film debut. At the time, Sky was very good friends with the Zappa family, Moon Zappa specifically. And Moon told her about how cool Cameron Crowe was and that he was coming to visit and had a new project in mind. And Sky decided to be at their house to introduce herself and obviously made an impression with Crowe. And if you didn't know, Ioni Sky is the daughter of 1960s singer-songwriter Donovan. As well as Cusack and Sky worked together, the key role was Diane Court's father, and that was Jim, played by John Mahoney. You needed a heavy in this role, and not many people could have played this part better than Mahoney. And he didn't play it like a stereotypical movie father. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens immediately with a dialogue from Corey, played by Lily Taylor. And she's talking to her two friends, Lloyd, John Cusack, and DC, Amy Brooks, about finally graduating high school. Of course, Lloyd's main focus is asking out Diane Court. Well, he ridiculed me all year long, and then he writes, You're a real live wire. Love, Mr. Carroll. No, it's also phony. Hmm. He wants to leave things on a good note. Well, when Mr. Carroll uses the word love, I look for another word. Lloyd, she's being difficult. I'm going to take out Diane Court again. Well, that's unlikely. Is the movies a good second date, you know, as a, as a date? She never had a first date. Yes, I did. I sat across from her in a mall. We ate together. We ate. That's eating, sharing an important physical event. That's not even a scam. It's a scam. Going on as friends. No, it's not. Scam is lusting. Then what's a, what's a date? date? A date is prearrangement with the possibility for love. Well, then what's love? I'm gonna call her. Diane Court doesn't go out with guys like you. She's a brain. Trapped in the body of a game show hostess. Diane Court does not realize how good looking she is. This sounds great to me, man. I'm gonna call her. That's what's cool about her. Brains stay with brains. The bomb could go off and their mutant genes would form the same cliques. I wouldn't get my hopes up, Lloyd. I'm sorry. It's just you're a really nice guy and we don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt! And in that brief statement from Lloyd, it's basically what the entire film is about. Lloyd wants more than anything to get to know Diane. Nothing else matters to him at this point in his life but that. The next day is graduation day. Lloyd and Diane are polar opposites. Diane is the class valedictorian with the brightest future ahead of her. Lloyd is a nice guy, but graduating isn't anything special to him, and he hasn't given much thought about what he wants to do with his life after high school. Diane is set to give her speech, but first we get this gem from Corey's great love of her life, Joe, who decides to give a speech in his own way.
Well, the class loved that, and that's kind of a tough act to follow for Diane. (laughs) Diane finally does proceed with her speech, but it really just falls flat. She's almost too smart and sheltered to understand what a class full of graduating teens really want. And this is sort of why Lloyd and her would be good together. Lloyd has a down-to-earth real charm that would open up Diane's world, and vice versa for Lloyd. Lloyd lives with his sister Constance, Joan Cusack, and her young son. Of course, Joan is the real-life sister of John and for some reason has an uncredited role in this film, though it's a terrific part she plays. An interesting note, most people assume Singles was the first film to really showcase the Seattle grunge scene music-wise. But really, it was three years earlier, Cameron Crowe subtly did this and say anything, because you get songs from Mother Love Bone and Soundgarden playing at various points in this film. And if you didn't know, Say Anything does take place in Seattle. So while Constance loves her brother, she's frustrated by him over the little things like his constant playful nature with his nephew and how loud he plays his music. Their parents moved to Germany, and Constance was sort of stuck with Lloyd crashing with her. Part of her annoyance has less to do with Lloyd, but more like how the father of her son left her. So Lloyd's parents seem MIA in his life, and Diane, on the other hand, seems to have a very loving and engaged single father named Jim, played by John Mahoney, and he gives Diane a new car and a ring as graduation gifts. However, as engaged in her life as he is, he almost seems too involved about how Diane succeeds. And while I'm sure all parents want the very best for their kids, they have to let the children figure out what they want in their life, not just what the parent wants. Lloyd's other interest, besides getting to know Diane Court, is kickboxing, which at the time was a new novelty sport. But obviously Lloyd was a soothsayer because MMA and UFC is now one of the top sports, and it's far more popular than boxing today. Be tough, J-Man. He's a mess. I'll be in my office. I just washed this shirt, didn't I? Yeah! Please, not in my ear. Not in my ear. Please speak with Diane, please. Uh, sorry, Diane isn't here at the moment. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Just the guy with the Mustang? No. Guy with the Datsun? No. Uh, the truck? No, not, not really. Uh, no, actually, basically, uh, you don't know me. I'm, I'm, a friend, I'm a friend of your daughter's. Well, I sat with her yesterday. The mall. Um, I drive a blue Chevy Malibu. If you, if you, oh. uh, I don't know. I guess I'm pretty bad at this, but what I want to do is... is can I please... Do, do, well, why don't I just get a phone number? Oh, okay. Uh, Lloyd Dobler, 555 1342. It's 555 1342. 555 1342. Okay, I'll get her the message. Okay. She's pretty great, isn't she? What? She's really pretty great, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Good afternoon. Okay, bye. <laughs> 
Jim Court. No, this is her father. I take it. What? No, I didn't get the letter. Yes. Yes, right away. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye. That second call was to inform Diane that she won a fellowship, which means she gets to study abroad in England that summer. Jim owns and operates a retirement home where Diane also works at. This fellowship will greatly help Jim with the financial burden of college tuition. Diane does end up getting a note about calling back Lloyd, and she gives him a call, much to his amazement and typical Lloyd fun awkwardness. I just wanted to congratulate you on that scholarship to England, and I wanted to just tell you that I thought your speech was really incredible. Thank you very much. Well, what a day, huh? Yeah. What a day. Yeah. Yeah. Quick question. Do, do you know who I am? Yes, we sat together at Bell Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember? No, I read it on the message. Okay, um, so it's Lloyd, and, um, uh, let's go out. You want to go out? Oh, thanks, but I'm busy. Busy? Yes. Things are pretty hectic right now, but thanks. You busy on Friday? Yeah, I have to help my father. Are you busy on Saturday? Saturday I have some things to do around the house. So you're, so you're monumentally busy? Well, not monumentally. What about tonight then? Can you go to that party for theirs? Mmm. Look, Dan, I'm sorry, but I can't allow you to leave the country without attending the Lear's graduation event. This gentleman is he's 22 and, and, and comes out of hiding like once a year for this occasion. And he, and, he, and he dresses up as the lakeside rooster and he, and he makes this drink called the Purple Passion. Actually, I think that... Uh... You know, and you're not in England yet. You know that, of course. But by the way, I want to just tell you that I lived in England for three months. And my parents live in Ireland, you know, so we lived in England and in Germany. And I could give you an enormous amount of tips. Many tips. English tips. Well... No tips. Don't give any tips of any kind. I'll go. Pardon me? I'll go. You will? Excellent. All right, this is great. You will, really? I'll go. All right, this is really great. All right, we're going out. It's a date. It's a scam. Whatever, whatever. All right. I'll pick you up at what? 8 o'clock? 8. 8 o'clock. Goodbye. The great payoff of that last scene is that Diane looks up Lloyd in her yearbook and kind of gives a what am I getting myself into look after seeing his photo. But kudos to her for being nice about eventually accepting the date. Lloyd picks up Diane that night and meets her father. And his nervous energy is just infectious. The Jim can't figure out why the hell his daughter agreed to go out with him. This one scene is what Cameron Crowe said was his real tribute to Lowell Marchant. And it's really directly how Crowe always remembered him. Lloyd and Diane arrive at the party, which is a stereotypical high school house party, which is always great to watch. And the fact that Back in the Saddle by Aerosmith is blasting away in the background, for me, is pretty badass. Nobody can believe that Diane Court actually showed up to the big party. And we get some great cameos from Eric Stoltz, who's dressed in a chicken costume. We also get to see a young Jeremy Piven.
Come by tomorrow, help you clean up or something. Diane, everybody loved that you showed up. <laughs> You're a great rooster. Well. Okay. Hey, Cor. So I'm single now. Everything's changed. I hate it. Give me my firebird key! You must chill! You must chill! I have hidden your keys! Chill! I love you, man. All right, I love you too. Go to sleep. What for? I'm buzz. <laughs> All right. You're such a great person, Lloyd. I'm a good person, but you are a great person. We're out of there, man. Yes. See you tomorrow. See ya. Bye. Hi, Diane. Bye, bye. Hey, drive safe. Thank you. I hereby surrender my duties as keymaster. Give me a beer. Certainly. I'm happy to say that this sack is officially empty. Uh-oh. The back bathroom. Let's go. Oh, look at this gentleman here. I gotta get home. Home. Funny enough, Eric Stoltz was working as a production assistant on this film. He was bringing coffee to John Cusack and whatnot. But Stoltz wanted to experience all aspects of movie making. So he was a so-called celebrity PA. And of course, Jeremy Piven and John Cusack were lifelong friends and that chemistry is on screen. So while Lloyd is responsible with his duties as keymaster, making sure that the drunks don't drive home, he's also keeping a protective eye on Diane, making sure she's having a good time. Corey is hanging out with her friends and playing all 60 songs she wrote about Joe, her obsession. It seems that she even tried to kill herself once because of the breakup with him. She, of course, runs into him at the party. That'll never be me. 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 
written 65 songs. 65. They're all about you. They're all about pain. So what's up? So stop freaking with your head, man. Just stop playing with your mind, you know? She's a human being. She's a person. Very talented, you know? Why do you think I keep her taste? Gonna be valuable someday. No! Hi, Joe. How are you? I love you. I love you, too. You invade my soul. I want to get back together. Unfortunately, I don't have the full clip, but Joe says that Mimi is going away to college and they should get back together, but he really wants to have sex with that night with Corey. And that was the emphasis needed for Corey to finally move on from Joe. She says goodbye and walks away. One of the great delights Cameron Crowe had in making this film was writing all of the Corey songs with his wife at the time, Nancy Wilson, from the band Heart. So there are a ton of outtakes of these songs, according to Crowe. Nancy Wilson actually taught Lily Taylor how to play guitar for this role. So Lloyd and Diane drive the last poor drunk home, who has no idea where he lives. And by the way, that guy that they drove home is the real-life son of Barbara Streisand and Elliot Gould. Lord have mercy. Three hours of commercial-free rock and roll. Good morning. Hey, that's it. That's my house. I live there. Well, uh, have a good sleep. Bye. Thanks a lot. Hey, you guys are the best. Give me a call or, uh... So what did they write in your book? What did they write to Diane Court? Hi. Listen to some of the things they wrote me. Glad I finally met you. You always seem nice. Wish I could have known you more. Mine says stuff like, uh, Lloyd, see you around, maybe. Nobody knew me before tonight. They knew of you. Now they know you. Yeah, but I feel like I fit in for the first time, you know? Like I just held them far away from me, so they did the same to me. That's cool, right? Yeah. I'm so glad we did this. We can walk from here. Okay. So it's just you and your dad, right? Yeah. That's a whole story you don't want to hear. Sure I do. Well, my parents split up when I was 13, and... God, I actually had to... I went to court, and I had to choose between the two of them. So I chose my dad. Just felt safer that way, you know? Watch out for that glass. But either way, it's still... Twisted. You know what? what? You're a great day. I've never really gone out with someone as basic as you. Basic? Hmm. 
that what's your job this summer? Job? Being a great bitch. No, I'm serious. So am I. I want to see you again. I want to see you as much as I can before you leave. Set it. I only have something like 16 weeks. 16 weeks is a long time. You call me tomorrow. Today's tomorrow. You call me later. Okay. Morning, honey. Dad, I'm so glad I went. Good night. Wait, why are you saying that? How was Lloyd? <sighs> Lloyd was such a gentleman. He was funny and nervous and strange, and I met people that I would have never met before, and then I blew it. I called him basic. Can you believe I did that? Well, I don't think he's reeling in embarrassment. <laughs> Good night. Good night. So Lloyd is just over the moon about his night with Diane. He was just himself, and basic or not, she had a good time with him. Diane knew instantly that Lloyd has a certain charm and ability to connect with people that she didn't have her entire time in high school. Lloyd gets the pivotal second date with Diane, and we hear Corey and her friends discuss the issues with Lloyd and dates that involve meeting family. He doesn't know how to handle those interactions and has a quote-unquote nervous talking thing, according to Corey. But agree that Diane could actually fall for Lloyd, which makes them happy. And by the way, Corey's room is hilarious because there's pictures of Joe everywhere. <laughs> sure enough, come dinner time with Jim and his friends, Lloyd acts like only he can. You two are amazing. You know? The way, the way, the way you talk. I'm just like that with, I'm not even like that with anybody. <laughs> it's a stellar jukebox, sir. Thanks, Lloyd. How do you obtain one of those? Oh, uh, what do we pay for the world of Sorrel? Well, that guy didn't want to part with it. A little matter of uh, $9,000. So, Lloyd, you graduated Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Lloyd. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time as possible with Diane before uh, she leaves. Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. You mean my career? Um, I don't know. I've... I've <clears throat> I thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So, uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so what I've been doing lately is kickboxing, which is a uh, new sport, but I think it's got a good future. As far as career longevity, I don't really know because, you know, you can't really tell. 
if you're eight and six as a fighter, you know, it's no good. You know, you have to be great. But I can't really tell if I'm great until I've had a couple of pro fights. But I haven't been knocked down yet. I don't know. I can't figure it all out tonight, so I'm just going to hang with your daughter. And that, in a nutshell, is the brilliant charm and blunt awkwardness of Lloyd Dobler. Too often, adults make such a big deal about young adults having a plan about their career. How many people actually achieve or follow through on their childhood interests? Most of the people I work with have a completely different degree than what their job actually ended up for. Ultimately, it's nice to have a guide, but rarely do things end up that way. And that's the beauty of life, not having everything mapped out for you. So my degree was in broadcasting. My job has nothing to do with my degree, but this podcast ended up using all of the things I learned in college for something I love doing. And ultimately, I'm most happy that I ended up doing something that I wanted without doing it simply for financial gain. Back to the film, while the awkwardness of Lloyd's answer did little to make Jim feel confident about him dating his daughter, he's got far bigger issues to worry about when he gets a knock at his door. Mr. James Court? Yeah, can I help you? I'm Mr. Sims, and this is Mr. Talbot. We're special agents of the Internal Revenue Service, and we'd like to inform you that you are under criminal investigation for the tax years 1982 through 1986. Jesus. Well, I live in a palace, right? I have guests here. Understanding the following rights... Speak with my lawyer. So you refuse to answer my questions? Just come down to my place of business, for God's sake. I have people here. Mr. Court, be aware that we will be contacting a number of your business associates... This evening is over. ...and your former wife. So Diane has lunch with her mom to talk about her father's tax issues and to ask her if the IRS visits her to try to have nice things to say about her ex-husband. Lloyd and Diane's next quote-unquote date is during her shift at the retirement home. Lloyd is hesitant because he feels weird around old people because it bums him out that he could die someday. However, the allure of being with Diane is far more powerful than his fears of ageism, and he ends up having a good time and even introduces the movie of the night to a group of seniors. The movie, of course, is Cocoon. <laughs> Diane worries that she might get a too attached to Lloyd before she goes abroad. However, Lloyd puts her at ease by calmly saying that they can be friends with potential, which is a brilliant way of phrasing it, because that's essentially what dating is at first anyway. <laughs> So he teaches her how to drive a stick shift around the grounds of the retirement home, and they have their first kiss. Eventually, they finally sleep together in the back of Lloyd's car with Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes playing on the radio. I think most people forget that In Your Eyes is actually played in this scene first, before the later iconic scene the film is best known for. There's a connection, of course, that I'll cover later. There are a few scenes in Say Anything that come directly from Cameron Crowe's real life. One was last seen with Diane and Lloyd in the back of the car where Cameron Crowe was so nervous about being with a girl that he was shaking. Ianu Sky said there was definitely off-screen chemistry between her and John Cusack during filming, and if they had not been romantically involved with other people at the time, they probably would have gone home together that day after they shot the scene where Lloyd teaches Diane to drive a stick ship. Diane returns home the next morning to a very upset father who waited up all night for her. This is where Jim says, you can say anything to me, hence the film's title. Diane tells her father that she spent the night with Lloyd and why she enjoys being around him so much. It's simple because she feels safe and comfortable with him. Simple gestures like when he kicked away some broken glass before she almost stepped in it. 
That's the type of kindness and awareness that amazingly most people don't even possess, but Lloyd does. So while Diane confides with her father about having sex, Lloyd does the same with his friends, Corey and DC, who not so subtly tell him that everything changes now that they had sex. Nothing will ever be the same between Lloyd and Diane because they will forever have a common bond. Lloyd decides to write Diane a simple letter which says that he will always be there for her with all the love in his heart. DC and Corey melt after reading the letter, which means he's going down the right path. By the way, the fashion sense of Corey in the film played by Willie Taylor really came from Nancy Wilson's style of dress at the time. So while Lloyd and Diane are in bliss, Jim has to deal with the IRS, who claims his income hasn't changed at all in six years. This is always a red flag to the IRS, who can't understand why he would stay with an enterprise that has no sort of growth to it. Usually this means someone isn't reporting all the income they should and likely hiding income from the IRS. Jim claims he runs a business out of his love of people and keeping them happy in their later years. Additionally, Jim doesn't think much of Lloyd and believes he has no future. Jim wants Diane to break up with Lloyd and have her only focus on her upcoming trip abroad for college. But Diane loves Lloyd. Diane, I'm not asking you to sever all relations with the boy. Give him a present, here. Let him know you still care. Give him this pen. Pen? Dad, in a million years, I would never give him a pen. Don't do it. Just take this pen, please, and write me. So Diane breaks up with Lloyd the worst possible way, by giving him the pen that her father suggested. Lloyd was so happy before picking up Diane, thinking life couldn't get any better. And then Diane just breaks up with him. It doesn't make any sense to him because they both love each other. That is one of the greatest lines in film history. I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. Lloyd decides to drive around town reliving every moment he had with Diane. He eventually ends up with a group of guys hanging outside of a convenience store after deciding he doesn't hang out with enough guys. Well, it goes about as well as it can be expected. 
Lloyd, man. No babe is worth it, dude. No, no. Listen, hang with us, man. We'll teach you Bibles for right, you. Right. Lloyd, man, you can't even trust them, That's man. Because right, you know what's man. about? They spend your money and they tell their friends everything, everything. man. It's about economics. That's valid, they tell them everything, That's man. Valid. All you gotta do is find a girl that looks just like her, do that. nail her, and then dump her, man. Dump her, Get man. her off your Lloyd mind. Knows we're right. Your only mistake is that you didn't dump her first. What? Diane Court is a show pony. You need a stallion, my friend. <laughs> walk with us and you walk tall. Walk tall, my man. Bitches, man. You can give that kid a comp. Hey, dude, I better bail. Right, for you, Luke. Cool, I got a question. You guys know so much about women. How come you here at, like, a gas and sip on a Saturday night completely alone drinking beers? No women anywhere. My choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. It's a conscious choice. choice. It's a choice, man. Choosing to be here. I don't want to be here, man. I'm choosing it. Dude, where'd she dump you, man? Car. Ah, your car? Man, dist in the mouth. Oh, heinous. It's your castle, man. Ah, man, you never had a chance with a girl like that. Hey, man, I was in love once, man. I got hurt really bad. I never want to go through that again. Oh, man, you're bringing me down. Shut up, man. man. We're going to a kegger, Lloyd. We're going to a kegger and we'd like you to come, man. We're gonna find you a girl. We're gonna find you a babe, man. We're gonna find you one hot lit babe instantly, promise. That's right, man. No, that's no. right, man. One hot lit babe right. instantly, man. Look, I'm, to you. I'm not gonna be somebody like Diane Court at a kegger. <laughs> the great wisdom of young drunk guys. As Lloyd puts it, that was a mistake. Lloyd decides to tell his true friends, Corey and DC, who say to be a man, not a guy. He calls Diane a bunch of times and leaves messages like only he can, but she never picks up because she knows she'd go back with him in a second. In the meantime, Jim tries to buy a luggage set for Diane and discovers that his credit cards have all been rejected. Looks like the IRS has now got him by the balls and he can feel the walls closing in. Lloyd decides he just can't give up on Diane and this is where we get one of the most memorable scenes in film history. So because you've listened earlier, uh, the special meaning from the song in your eyes is because that was what was playing when they first slept together. So next time someone asks you why the song is so special, you can now tell all your friends why. And it's also why the 80s were great at the time. The scene simply wouldn't work as well. Holding up your phone or a Bluetooth speaker, you need a giant boombox to hold above your head outside the window of the person you love. Sometimes modern technology isn't all it's cracked up to be. So there was a major debate about how to hold the boombox and if it was even going to be placed in the scene. 
was Cusack going to nonchalantly hold it up or was it resting on the hood of his car? Cusack actually thought it would be too over the top to be holding the boombox with his fully raised arms over his head. But Crow knew it would work best that way. Cusack was apprehensive but finally agreed to shoot it the way that Crow wanted it. And of course, now it's one of the most magical scenes in film history and there's thousands of posters of it. The other back and forth about this scene was which song to use and that would be the linchpin to the story. And it's one of the most important scenes. Nothing was fitting the complexities of the scene song-wise. At one point, it was going to be a Billy Idol song, To Be a Lover. Finally, Crow one day was listening to the songs uh, from his wedding day with his wife, Nancy, and In Your Eyes came on, and he realized that was the perfect song. Crow sent a copy of Say Anything to Peter Gabriel to try to receive his approval. Crow finally did get a response, and it was to call Germany at a specific time that Gabriel would be available. Gabriel said he saw the film and politely informed Crow that he couldn't give the song to him to use in the film. Crow was devastated, but before he ended his conversation with Gabriel, Crow just kind of flat out asked him why couldn't he use the song? And Gabriel said that he didn't like that the character in the film died of an overdose while the song was playing. Crow hilariously realized at that moment that Gabriel was sent the wrong film. He was sent a movie about John Belushi. Gabriel was being overwhelmed with requests to use songs in his film at the time and totally confused Say Anything with other films he received. <laughs> so Gabriel realized that Say Anything was the high school film he hadn't watched yet. And a few days later, he gave his approval. That It's a crazy story. And by the way, the, actu the actual band that was playing on the boombox during the filming of the scene was the band Fishbone, which was one of Cusack's favorite bands. Certainly different than Peter Gabriel. Lloyd's brilliant romantic move doesn't work immediately, but let's face it, a tree doesn't grow to full size in a day. He's planted an important seed. Meanwhile, Diane is worried about her father and meets with an IRS agent. Could you please talk to me? Be a little decent. We believe that your father operates from a large pool of cash that comes from phony billing, phony patients. We've been investigating him for five years. We believe when they die, he takes their money. Pardon me? Look, why don't you check it out for yourself? See if your father fits the profile. What's the profile? Well, take a look around the house. Is everything nice, but not too nice? Are there a lot of uh, rugs, pieces of art, stereo equipment, uh, furniture, a lot of things bought with cash? Does he give a lot of gifts? Do the major items in your house hover around the $9,000 You're trying to get me range? to say something. That's why you're telling me all of this. Don't let your father's business infect your life. How can you, how can you say that? Because he's guilty. No, he's not. We have the records. We have the proof. I'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you this, but it's going to get worse. Diane goes home and starts looking all around her house for any clues that might validate what she was just told by the IRS agent. She looks at her graduation gift, the ring on her finger, and eventually she finds a locked case and breaks into it and finds tons of cash stored in the box. She drives to the retirement home to confront her father, and he denies he stole anything until she tells him she found the money. Her father tries to rationalize that all of the fraud was for Diane's future and tries to say that he deserves what he takes from the seniors because he takes care of them before they die. Diane can't believe what she's being told and that he's nothing but a liar and a thief. She idolized her father. 
He, she actually picked him in the divorce court over her mother, and now her whole world has been shattered. After this, Diane visits Lloyd at the gym in the middle of his kickboxing training. Hey, Lloyd, someone's here to see you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do you want? My father's guilty. He lied to me. He lied to everybody. I just left home. I need you. You do? Everything else means nothing to me. If I hurt you again, I'll die. Hurt me again. Then I a chance. Don't worry about it. I love you. What? I love you. How many more times do I have to say it? One more time would be nice. One question. You're here because you need someone or because you need me? Forget it. I don't care. Again, the Lloyd Dauber character is the best. I love that he asks her the question if she needs him or just anyone. But ultimately, he doesn't care why Diane is there, just that she came back. It's just so real, especially for romantic dramedy, which is why this is arguably the greatest romance movie ever made. It, it takes a romantic teen film and treats it like they were adults, which is why it works so well. All right, and that's where I will leave you. So what happens? Do Lloyd and Diane end up together? And what about Diane's father? It's all answered, of course, with a terrific ending that is very simple but perfect for what the film is all about. It just gets better with every viewing. This is really a must-watch for any fans of the 1980s, and what a way to wrap up one of the best decades ever. It's a timeless film. All right, there are a bunch of deleted scenes, so first is Mr. Deegan at a party. I'm serious! Call the principal and tell him I'm too good for senior lounge duty. Come on, he'll listen to you. Great, give me the dirty work. <laughs> I was so glad when I saw you here tonight. It's the first time I've seen you outside those four walls. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. I'm gonna tell you a secret. I couldn't tell you until you had that diploma in your hand. I'd like to see you sometime. Really? I was always smiling at you. What'd you think that meant? I just thought you were a nice, happy guy.
I know what you're saying, Mr. Deegan. You're saying that you enjoyed our friendship, so did I. But you're not gonna feel comfortable if you kiss me right now. So for your sake, thanks. I understand. You're amazing. Have a great life. You too, Mr. Deegan. You know, in your speech you mentioned dreams. Let me tell you mine. I wish you were older. Next is Lloyd giving advice to a girl. I really like this guy a lot, you know? Yeah. But he never called me. But a friend of his called me and asked me out. But if I don't call him, then he's going to think I'm not interested or something. But if I go out with his friend... Wait, uh, don't go out with either of them. They're both, I'm telling you, they're assholes. But I really like him. But then again, I like his friend, too. Don't go out with either of them. <clears throat> My advice. Corey sings, he hurt me. My blood cutting me apart. With his bow tie mind. Yeah. Jim in front of a city council meeting. Mr. Court, can you tell us a little bit about the state of nursing homes in the Puget Sound and why you've petitioned to expand your facilities? Well, first of all, it's not facilities. It's a nursing home. There's a big difference, especially these days when you have corporations who own hundreds of nursing homes, thousands of beds. They take care of their residents in bulk. And that means, of course, that the poorer residents suffer. For example? Well, for example, let me tell you about Minnie Matheson. Minnie's 86 years old. Uh, well, she will be in September. She was a private pay resident until her money ran out. So one fine day, Minnie found herself transferred out of her nice, clean, private room shortly after she had signed on for a government agency, Medicare or Medicaid, and taken to a local hospital for a checkup. But she was fine. There was no problem. There was nothing wrong with her. When they brought her back, it was to a smaller room with two other people. Nobody answered her bell. Nobody even cared. And that's what happens when big business takes care of old people. It's a nightmare. It's discrimination. It's a scam. And I shouldn't even be talking about it. Because you'll be surprised, ever since I opened my mouth on this subject, how many government agencies have been knocking on my door. But the point is, I desperately need to expand. I have a long waiting list and no place to put any more beds, and I guarantee you, these people will be a lot better off in my home than in the facilities of some businessman in a suit who lives a thousand miles away and to whom the many Mathesons of this world represent nothing more than a tax deduction. So you feel that your service is more personal? Ladies and gentlemen, I pureed beets this morning. Doesn't this man look good? 
We all know who he is. He's a senior citizen. This man isn't well known. He's the same age. Came to my home a month ago. He lived alone, had nobody to take care of him. Unlike so many old people, he fell and broke his hip. It took Christopher a day to crawl to the telephone, a day. Now who's taking care of the elderly? Who's not just in it for a buck? It used to be that people just died. Today they can live to be a hundred. It's a miracle. It's also a problem. Who's taking care of our old people? These people are our parents. These people are us, the day after tomorrow. That's a very moving speech. We'll consider your application. Thank you. Thank you. Cool English road tape. Diane. Hi. Oh, oh look at you. Uh, I brought you something. I made you a, a tape for England, a cool English road tape. Cool English road tape. Yeah. <laughs> So is everybody here? Yeah, yeah. I have to go change. Okay. Help me pick something. All right. How formal is this? Not too. IRS agent Sims questions Jim at his home. Sure, listen. Okay. <laughs> no more for me. I've got to drive home. <laughs> Whatever you want. <clears throat> the Cynthia Bramson estate was worth how much? Because her family... What has family? We never heard from them. I sold her house for her and made her money. Mm-hmm. Your income, Mr. Court, hasn't changed substantially in 17 years. That's right. Well, why would you spend so much time with an operation that is so clearly not a growth enterprise? What do you think it means by growth enterprise? Pardon me, sir? Taking care of people isn't a growth enterprise, Mr. Sims. I hope you write that down. I'd like your bosses to read it. They will. In 1982, that was the year you took several vacations with your daughter. Isn't that right? That's right. Is that the boy who showed us the movies? Address. Please, please, please. Dad, please, please, please. Hold on a minute, address this card. Please, please, please. Please, please, please. There we go. Pretty dress for the two. Those trips were fairly expensive. Excuse me, sir. This lady is 93 years old. Her name is Bess, and you just treated her like she was invisible. She may have wanted to read that magazine. Did that occur to you? Were you going to read this? Yes. I'll be in touch tomorrow. Please, please, please. Please, please, please. Please, please, please. I'll show you the door. Please, please, please. 
Diane looks for Lloyd. Hi, is Lloyd here? Diane? Of Constance. Come on in. He's practicing on right down the address where he is. Thanks. This is Jason. Hi. Bing, 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 bing. Here you go. Thanks. Agent Sims in Eva's room. He took care of us. He drove me to the bank. Yes, but he took your money. Now, we were able to recover part of it. But he drove me to the bank. There are also a few other scenes where Lloyd helps the seniors at the home by feeding them and assisting them to walk outside. All right, some fun facts. The song Taste the Pain by the Red Hot Chili Peppers is playing in the beginning of the film. And so while this might not seem like any sort of fun fact, if you didn't know, Ioni Sky was dating Anthony Kiedis at the time, who of course is the lead singer of the Chili Peppers. Julia Roberts auditioned twice for the third friend character DC. That actually went to Amy Brooks. And by the way, as great as Lily Taylor is as Corey... I really love the DC character. I think she's really underrated, but she's the type of friend you need when you have someone like Corey, who's a little off kilter, but great, as your other friend. John Cusack's kickboxing scenes in the ring, including the one where his nose is broken, that's done with Don Wilson, who is a real-life kickboxing champion. And the dojo featured in the movie was also used in the original Karate Kid. John Cusack put a scar on his right eyebrow for his character... And he says that the backstory is that someone threw a rock at Lloyd when he was a kid. Cameron Crowe commissioned the Smithereens to write the movie's theme song. They came up with A Girl Like You. And Crowe actually thought the lyrics were too leading because they outlined the entire plot. So he rejected it in favor of Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. A Girl Like You was included in the Smithereens' next album, Eleven, was a big hit for them. It was actually also in the movie Backdraft in 1991. So here are all the actors that actually auditioned to play Lloyd Dobler. Christian Slater, Lauren Dean, who ended up getting the role of Joe, Peter Berg and Todd Field, also Robert Downey Jr., he turned it down, and Kirk Cameron was also considered. Keep in mind, Growing Pains was huge at the time. As great as Ioni Sky was, Jennifer Connelly was very close in the running of getting the role for Diane Court, and Elizabeth Shue was also considered. All right, we have two great guests. One is Sarah, who is always awesome. You never know what she's going to say, and she has a lot of fun talking about saying anything. And then we get Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and Podcast Rock City, who joins me to, again, discuss this 80s classic. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with the always amusing Sarah. Uh, always inappropriate. Who will literally say anything. Oh my God, totally. Yeah. Let me just tell you, this is the one good thing. We were talking about the younger generation mm -hmm. of, no offense, of moron. No, I'm just kidding. Of the offended, I should start calling them the, the offended culture. Yeah. No, they some of them even know about the boombox. Of course. Like that it's is, iconic. Yeah, did they, I mean, whose idea was that? Was it John Hughes that did this movie and he... Like, did he... It was Cameron Crowe. Oh, Cameron Crowe, that's yeah, right. I'm who sorry. was very much into music. Um, they needed a prop, and they were actually going to do a different song than this, which were, I've already talked about. Yeah, Were they? What was it going to be? It, it was a... It might have been a Fishbone song. Like, it Are wasn't, you kidding it me? It wasn't melodic, like... Oh! 
like um well i guess yeah you think about it like when you lose your virginity in the back of an old car (laughs) and the first song that comes on it's like oh yeah like people will say oh my god i remember this song and it's the dumbest song it's like well it was significant so there you go (laughs) okay well i have to ask so what is the song that is significant to you for like just stupid reasons oh my god I will tell you, um, and there are songs that I would like never admit to listening to, Right. but one of them is like a Rod Stewart song, like some slow song called like, um, what's it? When the one you love is love. That song was so sad. <laughs> and I was like, cause I was always the girl that had crushes on dudes that were just like, not even, they were like, Oh, you're friend zoned. Um, and what was another guilty pleasure song? Cause I have them. It's not like Bonnie Tyler, total Eclipse of the heart. Cause now that's just everybody's that's karaoke. Mainstream, yeah. Yeah. What is yours? Oh wait, mine. My another one of mine might be like Cinderella. Um, uh, Nobody's fool. No, Cinderella. Um, oh my like god, the band Cinderella. Yeah, Cinderella. Um, Shake me. Uh, what is it? Don't know. What yes, don't like that one. That's like my favorite. That's like one of my favorites, and nobody knows. But you know, every bad boy's got a soft side. Yeah. My God, that guy's voice is so like raspy and crazy. He's like the male version of Janis right. Joplin, right? You, yeah, yeah. So those are you know my little um I unrequited gonna, love songs. Do you think I'm sexy? Yeah. No, that would not be. Or I mean, uh, infatuation. Oh my God, no. Maggie May's good, you know, and like the oh, that's, young, young Turks. I really like Young Turks. His and if anybody's awesome. ever listened to The Weekend, um, one of his songs is like, well, that is. Young Turks and the Flashdance song combined. Thanks, done. Stop. You know. Hope you got royalties. Did you have a giant ghetto blaster as a kid? Um, no. My we had like this funky stereo. Like my dad had the high wi The high five. The high five. It was like gold. He ordered it. It was probably like eleven hundred dollars. Oh yeah. With the record player on top. My sister and I thousand pounds. I think we had like a little like weird like you take it to the beach one um but then my dad would always he was very into electronics so okay. you know for my sister's birthday or whatever we want a stereo or we, we probably wanted a boom box but we could never our parents would never give us batteries anything you're we had a speak and spell didn't work a freaking <laughs> simon says you know this we, we never had batteries ever we had never had film for our cameras or batteries for our to stuff. this day things sit in sarah's place and they, no they no don't i purposely have batteries but like it was a it was a struggle to know you had entertainment and but yet nothing to power it up. Yeah, That's, it's like batteries not included. Apparently, didn't read that part. Thanks. <laughs> Is your phone constantly dead? Because you, no, okay, no, it's constantly it plugged in because I'm I have issues. <laughs> I have such you issues. never know where we're gonna go with Sarah on these Dude, podcasts. You ever want to get me a gift and laugh at me? It's just like, buy just, batteries. Yeah, give me some batteries. Okay, I'll All get right. you rechargeables. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. See. So okay. So did you see say anything in the theater? I. Don't so this is 89. No, because my parents left us home alone most of the time. So and nothing works. So no, I know. Except for the VCR. Which and, you didn't need batteries for. Right. Thank goodness. Yeah. But, you know, I, I believe I saw that at home, like with my sister, one of the many, you know. So HBO. Yeah. yeah. The illegal cable box. The scrambler. Yeah. We didn't pay for it because we couldn't even afford batteries. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I watched it at home and I remember probably it might have even seen it like on the version on whatever TNT or whatever they play, but mm-hmm. Ioni Sky, I remember I was like, she married freaking one of the Beastie Boys. And she I was did. Like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And she dated uh, Anthony Kiedis from uh, she Chili really? Peppers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, and she, of course she would. Yeah. Um, she was cute. I remember her name. She is subtly beautiful. Yes. If that makes sense. It's yeah. like she's soft spoken. Yeah. The way she talks makes her very attractive. But her look is mm-hmm. not. You Over you really look at her and you're like she's really pretty, but uh, you know from afar you're just like okay she's just the girl next yeah, door. But, but that's yeah. what you want. That's you want what a kind of basic bitch that's gonna like <laughs> step it up and 
and be loyal. Only Sarah That's can, what she can want. turn something. Because if she's too hot, yeah. it's like it's oh, she's already hit the glass ceiling. Like it's you know what I mean. Yeah. It's downhill from there. So <laughs> you know, it's a good thing you don't want the girl that topped out in high school. So. John Cusack's character, Lloyd Dobler. Oh, my God. I would totally date him. So you liked that he was kind of that... Uh, quirky. Quirky. I was like the female version of that a little bit less. So you were everyone's friend. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then um, what's her name from Mystic Pizza that played... Uh, oh, yeah. She's great. Lily Taylor. Oh, I Corey. love her. Yeah. She's yeah. so cute. But... No, you know, what's funny is I watched that and he was all like into like MMA, UFC, like the whatever. Before everyone. Dude, Kickboxing. before it was the sh- Like who was the one that knew that was going to be happening? He, he did. Was that him Ooh. naturally or no? Like who was the writer? What, what made them think it's of It's all about, I, I've talked about this before, but I'll tell you now. So um, Cameron Crowe knew a guy who was into kickboxing way before everyone. Oh my and God. And he wrote him into the film. He was one of his neighbors. Oh my God. That's awesome. Little yeah. did they know. It's like, wait for one of these younger kids to watch this now. The yeah. ones that are all into it. I'm, you know, I'm going to suggest Well, because now people, <laughs> we're really going on a tangent. Uh, nobody cares about boxing anymore. Boxing no. used to be where it's at. Right. Now it's, yeah. You know, They've remade a lot of unnecessary movies. How about they re-release this one? They have not tried to remake this one, I have don't, they? They shouldn't, though. They've done a lot of things that are similar. It's all stupid. They've all done, like, whatever, yeah. 10 things. I hate. They're all the same movie. But they should make the original. Re, I, like, re-release I, it on for anime. I think they really shouldn't be doing remakes anymore. Dude, when they redo, like, Roadhouse or, like, what is it? <laughs> fucking Footloose? Roadhouse you could do because Roadhouse is okay, so ridiculous. Okay, they redid Footloose, Footloose and was it was stupid. exactly the same. Which was, they just made a country. Right. I yeah. mean, I hope whoever de- deserves royalties got paid for that. They did. Well, they did. But that was... That was pointless. To redo Roadhouse, I could understand because it's just an action movie. Right. But to redo Say Anything, they would ruin it. Well, now they can't redo a lot of things because the things that they say... Well, they redo it, but they water it down and it's crap. Yeah, it's like, why bother? Yeah. It's like decaf coffee. But this... (laughs) Exactly. It's like, no. But this movie holds up just because it's it's a non-traditional love story. Right. Yeah. Right. And her dad. I remember not realizing until later that her dad was like, he, like, he was a real. Up. He was in trouble. He deserved to get Right. He was all nice and whatever. I remember he was singing, Ricky, don't lose that. Was he <laughs> Great that? character actor, John Mahoney. Yes. Yeah. I like him. He's that yeah. guy that you're like, you know the guy that he's in everything. Yeah. But da, da, da. He's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, but. My favorite, one of my favorite lines, and I've said this to people before and not a lot of them get it, when he's like all depressed. And I love that he was so affected. He's like the one, like most guys. He talks about his feelings. Yeah. Most guys are like, oh, okay, no, I don't care, whatever. Like from a female's point of view, we're used to those guys that like, why do they seem like they don't care? And he was like so upset. But when he's at the at the gas station where the losers are hanging out, sitting, talking, and he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And his buddy's like, you know what you do? You find a girl that looks just like her, and then you dump her. And he's like, yeah, duh. And he freaking has the best line. Um, He goes, um, what, what Lloyd Dobler, whatever's yeah. character, he goes, um, if you guys are so... Uh, what was it like? Know so much about women. Why are you sitting in a gas and sip on a Saturday night with no women anywhere? <laughs> and they kind of pause and they, they're like, it's by choice, dude. Yeah. It's totally by choice. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay. I have fucking said that. So I've said that to people before. I'm off. You are like, so, you know, you know, all, why are you? And they're like, what? I'm on. Never mind. You know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. So soundtrack wise, I think everyone remembers in your eyes. Oh yeah. But actually Jeez. there's not that many. It's not that good. It's not like this. It's an interesting soundtrack. I mean, you have Nancy Wilson's on, from Heart. Yeah. That she was with Cameron Crowe at the time. Oh, that's why he did her. Living Color, Cult of Personality is a great song. Okay. But then you have, just, ironically, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers are in this for Taste the Pain because Ioni Sky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tepeche Mode's in this. Really? F- Fishbone. 
the replacements. It's an interesting. It's. I mean, it's, it's like not like from, like one of my soundtrack favorites is some kind of wonderful, and I don't yeah. know. It's just and there's a lot well, of those are all cover songs. Yeah, are they yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. You're I welcome. Know that I'm going to use that. You should one. really listen to my podcast. I, <laughs> you're like, you know what? You really yeah. should be listening. We've only known I, each other for like 20 years. I so, know yeah. you're yeah. right. Okay, you know what? Actually, I'm going to. When you know what's funny in my car when I have my phone plugged in because my car sucks something. And when, like, I'm listening to the YouTube. Yeah, the YouTube. And something happens where it doesn't work. And the way that the volume is, your podcast is the only one I had. It blasts through. Really? Yes, and it's so funny. So, like, <laughs> every once in a while when I go like, to do that, it'll be like, all of a sudden, you blast through. It's yeah. like, movie, man. Blah, blah, and I have it too loud. So, yeah, like, I know. Too much, Brian. I'm getting yeah. the hint that yeah. I need to be listening. Oh, yeah. you're so smart, Brian. I know, I know. Um, Yeah, so what's your favorite part of that movie? What do you like about it? I'm always getting questions asked. Well, I've already done my part, but uh, wow, well, no, that's yeah. right. Okay, but no. Um, what do I like about? I I, just, I mean, uh, what, but think about this too. How yeah. realistic was that? Doesn't he go with her to like wherever she? Well, goes? <laughs> there is a kind of a, and I hate doing this because I hate doing the modern thing. There's a, there's a sweet stalker kind of. <gasps> Right, going right, there. yeah, so, like outside of your window. That is a kind of a reference that we made. Well, most of it's a Fatal Attraction reference. Yeah, but it's like, but we know him by that point, so we we right, understand right. he's coming from a good. My place. God, my girlfriend and I got into an argument about something, and I was I text. She wasn't answering the phone, and I was like, not a, and I go, bitch, if you do not answer the phone, I'm going to show up at your house in 45 minutes with a boombox and a bad attitude. <laughs> so I suggest <laughs> and you, a bad attitude, and you, I suggest you pick up the phone, yeah. and then so I'm on, but I will be blasting like uh, NWA instead. <laughs> So just to piss off. Me, that's of reality. That's, Dude, that's where, a, those boom boxes are retro. Like those. Well, now kid, they are. But yeah, yeah. I mean, what it, I would love. What would the kid? They don't well, actually I, buy tapes, though. They no. They're just like a, they put their iPod in it. I relate to the um, the nervousness of him yeah. liking someone from afar for so long, oh but God, never totally. having you know, especially as a kid, right. Um, and I look back now as it, you know, when I was a uh, in high school, there were definitely signs of certain girls that liked me, but I just didn't. Right, you just weren't. It, it, well, yeah, you it were just like even you're dumb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Just, so I got, So he was at least brave enough to, right. to try, and, and and no one asked her out, which I thought always thought was cool. Right, they thought she was stuck up. Nobody really knew her, so I thought always found it. Um, Maybe that's nice what that, was, yeah. girls thought about you when you were in school. Maybe. Maybe I they don't thought know. you were stuck. Well, up. I did the class clown thing, so I. I know. did too. Did yeah. you know that? There oh my go. god! No wonder we are like peas in a pod. We are. I so. actually, yeah, I was voted most off the wall. That's really. That's funny. You got most off the wall. I was runner up for comedian and the reason I didn't win is because I voted for my other friends so yeah well you should have just yeah. thought about yourself in the thinking well, that's ship. the problem there's a little Lloyd Dobler in me too so oh yeah. my god you're right I love that yeah. nervousness I would have totally dated him but it would have gotten old as we got older because it would have been like oh my god well great. no he grows out of it I mean eventually does he well yeah what does he do where's the where's the sequel what does he end up doing is he is he I, I think it's good there's not a sequel because it's up to yeah, you to figure because out because he might have turned into the Al Bundy he's like do you know what I would have become <laughs> Well, I should, I should so ask my MM, my MM UFC Spoiler friends. alert, and if you've never seen the movie, ignore this. Yeah, turn off now. They, they go to England with her. Right. So he's going to, who knows, it could, anything could happen. So Yeah, he might be of a novelty in England. They might care yeah. all about it. But yeah, you know what, that's kind of funny. I'm going to. I'm gonna ask. But that's why it's a great ending, I... too, because it's really, you just don't know, because she's nervous about yeah. being on a plane. So Is that what it is? They both never, are. See, they never, well, hopefully it worked out, and now they're eating tea and crumpets or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they're in their, God, Dude, I wonder, their 60s. I wonder if, like, I'm going to ask my my older friends who are in, who are actually professional, like, UFC fighters, yeah. or in the, I'm going to be like, do you guys ever, like, make jokes and call each other Lloyd Dobler? <laughs> 
They probably don't even realize that. I know. I'm trying to think. One of them that I know, he's like 43. He might know. He might know. The younger ones, definitely not. But I'm going to tell him to bring that shit back. No, and I think that's good. It's going to be referenced. Make the little kids Google it and they'll be like, what did he do? Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever go back to this film at all or is it just like. When it's on, it's one, you know, if it. And the hard thing is I don't have cable as much now, but like if it's on, it's one of those things you always watch. Yeah. And you know what? Let's not forget that I love Peter Gabriel. I think he's awesome. So the fact that his song was like, how did that song come, come about? Was it one of those, oh, it wasn't a very big song. He didn't think it was going to be so a hit. It's Boom. A, it's a great story. Now it's a panty dropper. It, <laughs> it's like, did he know? No. It's a great story. And I've already told it, but I'm going to tell it for you. They Cameron Crowe sent the film to Peter Gabriel's like, I, I think this would be a good scene to have this in. And. Peter Gabriel uh, watched it and he's like, yeah, I just don't think it's right. I think it's wrong that, you know, that, that it's going to be used in a suicide scene. What had happened in a was suicide scene, what? The, the studio had sent the wrong movie. Oh, and so shit. he watched the different movie and he's like, oh, well, I don't have a suicide scene. What or movie my, was it? Or, or death scene. or oh. I don't know. I don't know what never said. So then oh send the regular movie. He's like, oh, yeah, totally. You can use it. <laughs> and put it in. But That yeah. is hilarious. I yeah. did not know that. Was that before or after Sledgehammer? That was before, wasn't it? I'm just thinking. Ever, same time. Was it it's the same a, it album? It was all on the, uh, I think it was so. A lot of people don't realize, only p- certain people realize, yeah. like us, like that he was in Genesis. Absolutely. And he had hair. No, I, I don't like the gen- like his Genesis stuff. It's too no. far out. But me, you know but. what's funny? Somebody was talking about, I was watching something about um, musicians who just, if you had to like look at them now, like now yeah. pop stars, it's all about how they look. Yeah. We had some ugly ass musicians. Like Phil Collins looked like a Russian mafia member. <laughs> Right, Billy, like look Billy at him Joel. with his mullet. I mean, look at all. Now it's like they have to be attractive. Billy Joel got Christy Brinkley. Right, but none. I mean, like there's some people. It's like even freaking Rick Astley, weird looking dude. Well, weird. think of all the rock stars. I mean, right. Uh, but Mick now Jagger, you think Kirk, about it, they're all like most of them are pretty. Do you see? I have. When's right. the last new like but ugly the, ass rock star? But it's Instagram pretty. It's all fake. Right, but even like that's that part that's upsetting. It's like it's all Milli Vanilli guys. Well, even actors. I think actors have been right. Have, have, where they're too pretty. Yeah, yeah. Why can't they? We, well, John Cru- uh, John Cusack is not traditional no. Hollywood right heartthrob. Oh my God, does that mean this younger generation is going to ruin for everything? Now it's they already have to make- ruined because you know, how many superstars are there now? Nobody. Oh my God, they're all done. Yeah, it's like what happened to like. The Steve Buscemi's, like that's like yeah. you need. Like I know that I've watched movies and I've been like, you know what? I like that this movie is realistic because yeah. that person is. Have you not ever seen Ghost World? A little bit that, of it, right up your alley. Bit. Fuck yeah. Okay. And Steve Buscemi's in it. I do love me some Steve Buscemi always. There He's you always go. got him, and I'm. But yeah, now they need to stop. Are they going to stop, or am I going to like now I have one other thing to have anxiety about? Have one other thing to have anxiety. Great, yeah. thanks. As always. You say anything. Well, <laughs> That's why well, I love it. Snoochie boochie noochie. <laughs> I got that one. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, we're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast and also Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Oh, good to be back talking this super duper movie here. <laughs> so I, I, this is a standard question I ask everyone. Um, so you grew up, this is like kind of like your high school years, uh, 1989. And uh, unlike Steven, who had you know been in... He was already 40 by that, that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah I'm uh, three years out of high school and uh, turning 20. That's what okay. Um, did you see this in the theater? Was it the, was it a home rental? Uh, video rental, date night movie at home. Uh, probably didn't see it. And, you know, if you remember, well, you were too young, but. I was, yeah. 1989, if a movie comes out of the theater, you're probably going to see it in VHS somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 to 18 months, depending on uh, how fast 
it's almost felt like movies didn't do well came out faster, but the movies that did well came out slower. If yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, they so make my, back their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my guess is I probably saw this ninety ninety one, mm-hmm. but I probably saw it within weeks of it getting released at the video stores. Okay, that makes sense. So, what about this stu- stood out? Was it John Cusack? Was it the story? Was it the the cover? <laughs> what, what what made you even want to see this? Uh, it, Cusack, uh, mm-hmm. Cameron Crowe, right? And yep. it, you, uh, it's hard to explain, but when you looked at like the VHS covers of '80s, either romantic comedies or like these kind of teen movies, they all kind of had this similar flavor on the covers. So it's like, well, I like Fast Time, so I might like this movie. And, you know, there's just, I don't know. It was so similar, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. You could almost tell by the cover. It's like, all right, I think I enjoy that. And, you know, it was, I was with my girlfriend. So, of course, it's a date night movie and it's a straight up chick flick. It is. It is. But there, there is something about it that I don't know. It Even at a young age, when I saw, and I saw this on video too, probably around the same time as you, because I think my mom rented it. Um, there was something endearing of just about the story where, yeah, it is a chick flick, but I, some, for some reason guys get behind it too. Yeah. I think it's all about that whole piece of your life is about to start because <laughs> you're out of high school and you know, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, everybody's been in that situation. Right. So I was, you know, I was watching this the other day and I'm thinking, man, what was I thinking when I was graduating from high school and how did my life end up where it is at 52? Right. right. You don't think about that when you're well, I graduated when I was 16, but most people graduate when they're 18 or 19. So sure. Don't think about that kind of stuff. They they're exactly where Lloyd was. I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to spend time with this chick for the next 16 weeks. Yeah, I think watching the film now, you almost identify a little bit more with the dad, even though he's a scumbag. And he's of course he's yeah. doing the but you understand why he thinks, well, I don't know if Lloyd's the greatest guy for his daughter. But as it turned out, Lloyd is the perfect guy for his daughter. You just didn't, he, he didn't see it. Yeah. And no, the character, okay. Scumbag, but my yeah. God, John Mahoney. So makes good. This film makes this film. Uh, yep. All I could see was Martin Crane. So every <laughs> time that I saw him, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. You're so young in this movie because that happens later. Right. Yeah. And I think they dyed his hair probably to make him look a little younger. Um, and then as the movie progressed, the black hair was kind of gone. If you noticed, right. Yep. So, yep. Uh, but uh, he absolutely, I don't know if anybody else pulls off what he did in this movie. No, because he has such a range of emotions. Because at first you think, well, he's, he seems like a good guy and everything. And then it just, the downward spiral. It's, it's re- it was really a well-written film. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I thought it's also interesting. You have John playing this, what, 18-year-old, 19-year-old possibly. But yeah. he's actually 22, 23 years old. So he's just right. kind of... A little bit got a baby face, right? Is that what it is? <laughs> oh, totally. And I think Ioni Sky was quite closer to uh, the real age. Yeah. What is the deal with him and Joan in the same movies? Is this some <laughs> sort of contract thing? Like, I don't know. I don't know, but she actually is great as uh, playing his own sister. But yeah, you're right, because it goes back to um, well, this is, I guess. Yeah, because they were in other films, too. Together, I want to say, was Sixteen Candles. And... Uh, and then Rose obviously point blank later on. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. She's one of the best character actresses, though. She's so funny uh, as that. And I like the little rapport he has with his uh, with his nephew. Yeah. Oh, dude, the nephew is uh, totally emulating the uncle. Right. That yeah. is the way to go. 
the kickboxing thing's a little interesting because when you go back and watch this, it's like, I guess kickboxing didn't really take off. It was a thing for a minute, but that was about it. Well, and now you look at mixed martial arts and UFC, it's everything. It's more popular than boxing. So he obviously saw what Dabo or Cameron Crowe uh, saw something, you know, going on there. Yeah. I was uh, watching this the other day. So all my kids have now graduated from high school, right? Right. My oldest, um, who is living in Arizona, she's uh, 28 years old now. Mm-hmm. When she graduated, they sat them in order of grade point average. Ooh, that's brutal. Okay, so she was like, I think, top 10 or whatever. So she was in the front row. <laughs> but, oh, my God, the whole back row was all guys. Yeah. Right? And as they're calling the people, the crowd is getting louder and, <laughs> and rowdier and rowdier sure. and rowdier <laughs> to where when the last person gets called, his mom is like in the crowd. I told you you was going to catch it. Like it was <laughs> crazy. Right? And I'm like, oh, my God. It's, that was better than that rendition Oh, the greatest love of all. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was so How bad. weird and cringy was that? <laughs> oh, my God. That was so I, I was Whitney Houston. I'm like, yeah, cut that out. I can't have that anywhere near here. I'm sure she was laughing about it, but who knows? I'm shocked in today's culture where people are so sensitive about everything that they would actually do that. A great point average. I think it's fine. Like, it doesn't bother. It wouldn't bother me at all. I mean, that's just that's life. You know, you have to prepare yourself. It's almost I would have I would have felt they would have done it the opposite way. You know, you have the best last, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, funny. <laughs> a couple other things I thought that were weird in the movie. So, you know, Kuzak is calling dad answers. Right. Because he's trying to get the girl. Right. So yeah. now the dad answers on a pretty slim, cordless phone <laughs> for 1989. Yeah. So was that to show that they were kind of supposed to be better off than John's family? I think so because remember he had the the um, the jukebox and yeah yeah uh, he had stuff. I mean obviously the, it alludes to they're living above their means. How are they doing this? Uh, and those are the things you pick up after you watch the movie a few times. Yeah yeah yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking is so um, he's driving and he's singing Ricky Don't Lose That Number right yeah <laughs> yeah driving and I'm thinking so think about this you probably never thought about this singing in the car first of all everybody thinks they can do it. Sure. But if you think about it, it is literally the only private place where nobody else would be around to hear you. You can't do that in the house in the shower because it might be nope. somebody else. Uh-huh. If you are singing in the house, somebody might come in, mm-hmm. right, or might come over or whatever. Your car is the only private place you can practice. It is. And make sure you don't have the window rolled down because I've definitely pulled up alongside people that have been belting out. And it's I mean, <laughs> it's great. It's almost like getting caught picking your nose in your car, too. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, man, that could be an episode. That should be an episode. What, what do you sing in the car when you're alone? Oh, yeah. Oh, I sing stories? all the time. I, I and I am my own worst critic. I'll be singing along. And go, Whoop, that was bad. Like talking <laughs> to myself. Right. So, yeah. Well, come on. So you got to turn on your phone and start recording. These things we should, I, that should be. A I have talk. done that. I have done that. That's why <laughs> that whole that whole tape recorder thing. Yep. I've done it in my phone. It does help. It, it actually does. like it, to get it out of your mind. Sometimes you just got to say it out loud, even if it goes nowhere. Right. Just to get it out, and it does help. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the craziest thing that you've ever that you ever did um, to try to show your affection uh, for for a girl? Obviously, you know, alluding to Lloyd Dobber holding up the boombox outside of. Uh, Anne's house. Yeah. Um, I took Nicole on a balloon ride once. 
I oh wow! Caught. I mean, I'm not scared of heights, but being in a balloon ride in Napa at <laughs> six thirty in the morning wasn't really at the top of my list. But uh, <laughs> I did that just to show off. I uh, tried to propose uh, doing karaoke on a cruise ship. Ooh. While we were like in, you know, like our formal clothes because we we're going to dinner that night or whatever, mm-hmm. and it didn't work out because it never called me on stage, so I had to propose. Oh. I'm sure I've done stuff that I don't remember because I was maybe hammered, <laughs> right? But yeah. the boombox thing, like that's classic. But I think the the part that nobody ever talks about is she never came to the window. She there did. was no response. No, no, no. And that's movie magic too because you're just uh, – you're seeing her reaction. So you know she's thinking about it. But yeah, if you're looking at – Lloyd's perspective and you don't know her reaction, it's kind of like, well, this was a dud. <laughs> it didn't work. By the way, what would you so obviously uh iconic song and and scene within your eyes from Peter Gabriel, what would have been the song you would have selected if you were gonna play a song? Well, I'll tell I'll answer that two ways. First of sure. all, if in your eyes is playing in the background, I can't do shit. There's no way I can make out with a girl. There's no I I, I absolutely hate Peter Gabriel. Oh really? I cannot <laughs> stand him. Even that song? Oh my god, I would jump out. Get the woman off me, turn that goddamn song off to do and put something else, anything else besides that. Like, wow. Okay. So, um, but, uh, you know, probably, believe it or not, like Joshua Cadison or like Richard Marks, mm-hmm. something like that. That's got some kind of slow to mid tempo, but it's got good melody and it's, you know, kind of oozing whether I'm sorry or I'm assuming I fucked up somehow. So, yeah, something like right. that. Right. Well, I don't know if you knew. So the, the actual song that was playing was. Oh, they were filming it because uh, they didn't have the rights to Peter Gabriel yet. It was actually a Fishbone song. So um, that totally would have changed the whole dynamic of that. You know, they later got the Peter Gabriel song, which is another funny story. But, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So you had mentioned that you'd like John Cusack. Were you into his previous films? So like The Sure Thing, Better Off Day, One Crazy Summer? Um, yes and no. I found all those later. So okay. I wasn't a super uh, John Cusack fan. I knew of him, right? And I'd seen a couple of movies. But, you know, when you see that one movie and then you're like, okay, I got to go see everything this guy's been in. It's too good. Yeah. That was gross point blank for me. Got it. So when okay. I saw that, I'm like, okay, I got to see everything. And not everything I saw was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has a – that whole uh, – philosophical fast talking that makes no sense to anybody unless you hear it five times. <laughs> He's got that part down. He does. He does. Yeah. How did you feel about Ioni sky and her character? And uh, would you have picked anybody else to play the Diane court role? I'd rather have Jennifer Conley. Oh, I there you actually for the role. Yeah. She's not that pretty to be honest. <laughs> That's just, I'm just being honest. Like, Hey, it's your you opinion. Got, yeah. You could have got a hotter actress and there was plenty of them around. Sure. And Jennifer Connelly would have been just fine. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably why she got the role because she was um, she wasn't your typical movie starlet, and uh, and for the Lloyd Dobler character, it didn't it, it was a different perspective. So uh, I actually think it works better that she wasn't super, um, you know, the the stereotypical you know blonde or something like that. Like it would have been the sure thing all over again, where he's looking for Nicola Sheridan. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, when you bring it that way. If it's about a cheerleader, I guess a starlet has to play it. Yeah. But now you're talking about the valedictorian. You know, one of the smartest <laughs> kids. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. yeah, it has to be a little bit different. Sure. Let's go. Let's kind of shift to the soundtrack. It's kind of eclectic, which was what I always loved about 80s and 
soundtracks. Uh, some of these artists, I think, are some of your, I don't know, favorites, but you definitely like them. So how did you feel about the soundtrack? Uh, I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. Um, you know, hearing Satriani anywhere is yeah. amazing. Uh, Nancy Wilson, I mean, you're talking about they're coming off of two of their biggest albums. That's right. So they're hot as hot can be. And uh, she and hadn't married a lot. To Cameron Crowe, too. <laughs> yeah. And she hadn't sang a lot. And this yep. gave her more chances to sing, even though she'd had a couple of hits. Yep. Uh, you know, Cult of Personality is awesome. Um, you know, there's two, that Mother Lovebone song and a couple of Soundgarden songs, they're not even on the soundtrack. That's right. So obviously Crow already knew of the Seattle scene. Yeah. Um, and this is a few years before singles when it gets, you know, stupid, but Cameron <laughs> knew something that other people didn't know about that music. Yeah. And I really like the Taste the Pain uh, song from the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, and, and Cheap Trick's in it too. So, which I, th- that's kind of, you know, Cheap Trick. I, well, I guess maybe they're still coming off um the flame possibly so maybe that's why they had some no pun intended some heat <laughs> so. yeah yeah it's about the same timing for sure mm-hmm. uh did you identify with the lloyd dobler character at all no um i mean i identified with a character that uh is going after a girl that's out of his league right but lloyd had actually a lot more guts you know it it takes guts to call a person you're into calling the house running into the dad uh, calling again, talking to the girl, not taking no for an answer. Like I would have gave up. I would have said, okay, well, I guess you're busy for the rest of your life. Bye. And that would have been it. Well, I think that's, you bring up a great point about calling. I, you had to put in the effort, the FaceTime back in the day before technology. It really, I mean, granted phone was a technology, but it, it's different now to text someone. I, I, it's, it's easy. Like it's a quick, you know, it, it really doesn't take as much, I guess, gumption as it did back in the day yeah and as i'm getting older i think it partially has to do with me getting older and having a little bit of confidence and it also has to do with i've been in the same relationship now for you know more than half my life sure so even talking to a woman is a little bit easier now than it was back then but i think it's a combination of many things it's not like my personality's gotten any different yeah, and I think yeah, it all comes down to confidence because you're you're always self conscious as a younger person, and uh, as you get older, you realize it doesn't matter as much, you know. Yeah, and that first date going to a party that's dangerous. It Dude, is. There's no way you're going to be able to stay together and talk to each other. Right, right, and that's a fun scene because that's where she really saw how kind of liked it. And uh, how everyone kind of knew Lloyd uh, and she had no clue and that she had been sheltered pretty much her whole high school career. Yeah, but, you know, I'm going to a party. I bring a girl that I barely know. I'm trying to get to know that I want to know better. And they run into Stephen, Tom, Zeus, <laughs> Brady. Like, I, that's a disaster waiting to happen. I got to take her somewhere else. And she pretty much did. I mean, look at the the, the key. He had to be the key master or whatever. That yeah, Eric, yeah. That's a great seed with the Eric Stoltz. Is- the, as the main guy and then the guy that, that kept um drinking and throwing up all over himself at the in the bathroom yeah that that totally reminded me of uh high school parties yeah yeah and i thought it was also interesting this whole you know she brings up there was glass on the ground and he had me walk around it's right amazing of all the things that could have hit you that's the thing that like you never know what it's gonna be sure you never know what like the click is that turns it from Eh, to oh yeah that guy it's cool or i want to be with that person like that's so odd 
Well, and, the, and this movie is filled with those little things. So who would have thought of that? I love the pen scene, you know, like I'm not going to oh, give yeah. him a pen. And then, of course, she gives him a pen. <laughs> so it's just there's little great um, touches in this film that I think people remember. Uh, lastly, and we'll wrap it up with this. How did you feel about Corey, which is played by Lily Taylor, her friend that is constantly writing songs about Joe? I mean, she is perfect in that little comic relief uh, side role. Yeah. And honestly, she helps him more than his guy friends can. Totally. I had the same question. I'm like, well, if you guys are all experts, <laughs> then why are you here on a Saturday night by yourselves drinking? That's right. Right. So I know I thought that was a good character. And I kind of liked that she was strong enough to tell Joe, nah, I'm good. Even though every song she's written is probably has something to do with. I want to be back with it. That's right. But she needed that final. It was never going to happen unless he tried to do that again. Then once it did, she, she proved to herself that she could stick up to him. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Or stand up to him. Yep. Well, as always, Sonny, thank you for doing this. Was there any uh, things you picked? I'm, I'm assuming you watched this before this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was there anything new you picked up that, that from your, you know, previous viewings? Yeah, I didn't realize. And I guess, you know, it was always there, obviously. But when she's talking to her dad and she says, I decided not to sleep with him, but then I attacked him anyway. I oh, yeah. I missed that somewhere because I'm like, did you just tell your dad you did this guy? <laughs> and not only just, you know, casually did it, but you like, you know, ravaged it. <laughs> like, you really wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's so, yeah. You know, it's so odd because the dad at the beginning, like he doesn't seem like a sleazeball. No. It's two thirds into the movie because you're still on his side when the FBI shows up. Right. You're like, oh, that must be something stupid. Must have something to do with the ex-wife. Who knows sure. what it is. You, uh, you know. I don't know if you can keep your money in a jewelry box. Probably not a great idea. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but two-thirds into the movie, you're still on his side, and then it's so odd that you completely flip and go, oh, my God, that guy's a straight-up sleazeback. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Were there anything else uh, that you caught? Uh, no, nothing new, but I love the way this movie ended because yeah. that waiting for the ding or whatever, that is very unique. I don't know if I've ever seen another movie end that way. No, and I love, yeah, I do love the uh, ambiguity of it. Uh, it could go any way. You, your own opinion is, you know, how it how it ends up. So I'll ask you the question: How do you think it ended up? Uh, I think they end up going to England, and um, they get uh, end up getting married, having kids, blah blah blah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they end up together. Okay, uh, the yeah. way the movie's being written, right? Because they've already been through the trials and tribulations, so they've already gotten over the hump. Sure, sure. And uh, and that's what's great about, again, uh, why my uh, my dad absolutely loves endings like this, because anyone can have a different interpretation about it, which is great. I, it's totally open ended. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Thanks again, Sonny. Thank you. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.